Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Alexa Sharma with AFM's Pahari Project in North India. In my seven years in India, many special people found their way into my heart. But that bond wasn't always immediate. Let me tell you about a Pahari woman named Rani. We kind of had to warm up to each other. I call this story, We Will Help You Run. After two hours of driving, we had finally come to the designated meeting spot, just down the mountain from Anderagon. Christian slowed the car, and I kept my eyes peeled for Ronnie. Oh, look, Christian. That must be her. Pull over here. She stood with hands clasped behind her back, broad shoulders curving forward slightly, as though trying not to be so tall. She sucked her bottom lip. When she noticed us, she acknowledged our presence with a brief, tense smile hid behind her hand. We pulled over, and I hopped out of the car. You must be Ronnie, I said. I've been so excited to finally meet you. When I reached out to hug her, Ronnie's body stiffened. Her eyes widened over high cheekbones as she surveyed our car. Here, sit in the front, I said crawling into the back seat between Preeti and Prem. Ronnie hesitated, but eventually sat quietly in the front seat. Radhika's like a sister to us. She calls us Baya and Bobby. Since you're Radhika's little sister, you're like ours too. You can call us Baya and Bobby if you like. I tried to help Ronnie feel comfortable in the Indian way by assigning each of us a familial relationship. Okay, she said simply. I noted how much quieter she was than her bubbly, talkative sister. Her frame was slender, like Radhika's, but she was taller and smiled less. For the next hour or so, she only answered yes or no questions. You are so lucky, she told me, after Christian got out of the car to pick up some mangoes for Radhika's in-laws. Oh? I asked, leaning forward towards her. How is that? She practically spit out the words. You don't have to do any work. I work all day long in the fields. Sunrise to sunset. You probably sit around all day and don't do anything. Having heard this kind of you-don't-do-any-work talk before, always from people who don't know me, my own lips pursed in annoyance. Yeah, some people think that about foreigners, I said. I don't know why. People have even asked me if I bathe my own kids or wipe their bottoms when they use the toilet. Of course I work. As though I don't do dishes, sort rice, and wash my clothes. My husband works hard, and so do I. I'm happy when I work. Who would want to just sit around and be bored all day anyway? I then attempted to steer this rather catty conversation onto something pleasant. The weather? The sweater she's making? Um, we'd love to visit you in your village sometime, I said. 
You could come for the Mela. So many powerful devtas come. It's great. Oh, the Mela. We'd be happy to come eat with you. But we don't worship the devta. I shocked myself by this extremely direct pronouncement. What? she asked, talking louder than usual. How can you not worship the devta? What in the world do you worship if you don't worship the devta? Jesus, the Messiah. Do you know who that is? Never heard of him, she paused. Say, why don't you wear makeup and jewelry? Don't you think women look beautiful when they wear makeup and jewelry? There was a hint of accusation flavored with a dash of reproach in Ronnie's tone. She was well-painted and had four earring holes in each ear. A long necklace dangled from her neck. I think you look beautiful, I said, smiling. You're free to choose to wear those things, but I think God created women beautiful just as they are. So I try to be beautiful without all those things. Hmm. Silence. This might be a long three days, I thought to myself. God, help me to connect with this woman. When Christian got out of the car again to buy some bananas for our hungry kids, I leaned forward from the back seat. If you could do anything in the world, you know, since you don't like working in the fields, what would it be? I don't think that way, she said flatly. What's the use? I don't dream. I don't think of what could be because nothing will ever get better. As we continued to chat in the car, I realized that all the bitterness in Ronnie's voice was just a thin veil for despair and hopelessness. After we arrived at Radhika's, we all took sickles down to the field to cut grass for the water buffalo. Preeti and Prem played with Radhika's niece and nephew, throwing leaves at each other in a tag-like game. Pretty soon, the petite sisters and myself were crouched in the middle of some tall grass, laughing. <laughs> Apparently, my sickle hadn't been sharpened in a while. It was rusted, with a huge chip out of the center, and dull as a butter knife. I couldn't cut much grass with a butter knife. The girls laughed at my useless, good-for-nothing sickle as I attempted to bludgeon through tiny clumps of grass. That sickle's just like me, said Ronnie, making a joke. She was still laughing, now a soft, bitter, hurt laugh. Radhika and I stopped laughing. We touched her shoulders, and she stopped, pausing before she continued to slice through grass and pile it in a basket, stone-faced. During the next few days with Radhika and Rani, I got to know the plight of this tender-hearted young lady, whose life has been in danger many times, from others and from herself. Like Radhika, Rani is illiterate. One day, her brother told her, I'd never teach you to read. You'd get all the way to Delhi if I did that. These women come from a village high up on the mountain, where drinking and dysfunction are the rule. Women are controlled by keeping them from education, working them all day in the fields, and sometimes disciplining them. Ronnie has almost lost her life several times due to this discipline, which is sometimes by brothers, sometimes by other villagers in Anderagong. She is beaten and abused mercilessly, sometimes by multiple people. Anytime a rumor gets kicked up that this young lady has been going around with men in the village, she is disciplined in this way. 
although she avoids talking to anyone in the village to avoid the appearance of evil, rumors don't stop circulating because of the truth. The truth is, Ronnie is profoundly lonely, living in a tiny room she built herself. Her two children live with her former abusive husband, but she cannot be a part of their lives. She talks to almost no one, man nor woman. And she hates her life. But how could she ever escape it? She can't read the signs to take a bus somewhere else. But even if she could, where would she go? She is afraid she couldn't adjust to living anywhere besides that town of terror. And, as a single illiterate woman in India, there are no jobs for her, and few resources to help her help herself. Her best bet would be to try and marry into a kind and loving family. When we took Rani to visit her outlaw sister Radhika, we didn't yet realize that the girls had only recently begun speaking again. Radhika had shocked everyone when she ran for her life from the dysfunctions of her village. For many years, the sisters had not spoken. But one day, Radhika tracked down her sister's phone number and arranged to meet with her in a secret location. She wanted her sister to know that a happy life is possible. When Radhika showed Rani the beautiful wedding album of her marriage, it seemed too good to be true. In fact, upon looking at the kind-faced family and the smiling relatives, Rani fainted. Now she could see for herself in person the family is good-hearted, gentle, and sincere, treating Radhika like their own daughter. As I shared with Rani what I know about the effect of abuse on women's minds, she listened with wide eyes. She had literally never known that anyone in the entire world was different from those in her village. She was seeing for the first time that her hatred of herself was the result of brainwashing. Can this be real? Can there really be people like this in the world? She asked me one afternoon. Rani, your experience is... It's despicable. There are many people in the world who would take your side. There are many, many good people in this world who deal with their problems in better ways than hitting. If I could have one wish, I would get along with everyone in my village, she told me. I try so hard, but everyone is more interested in lies. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I just feel like it must be my fault somehow. I couldn't stay, Radhika chimed in. Why should I stay under someone's shoe? Didn't God create me? Don't I need to eat and breathe and bathe just like them? Why should I let someone destroy me? I would have died if I'd have stayed. Her voice grew louder, more passionate. I didn't know what to do when I left, but God took care of me, and now look. I'm happy, I have a home, I have Jesus, I have a big brother and Bobby, and I can read. For a moment, all I heard was the sound of the ceiling fan whirring as Ronnie took in this new shock. How is that possible? You can learn too, Radhika said. She slowly read a line from her illustrated Bible storybook. Her eyebrows furrowed deeply as she concentrated. Her sister's eyebrows also furrowed as she waited to see if it was true. When it was true, the room was a bundle of energy as we used the small whiteboard I brought with me to show Rani a few letters. Because she already knows most of the Hindi script, she was able to read a few short words. I can't believe this, she said, laughing. I'm reading! 
Later that afternoon, as we sat on a cement floor under a ceiling fan, I shared with her about Jesus' love and about the value God placed on her by sending his own son to die for her. She was very quiet. Radhika shared her testimony of peace and deliverance. Listen, Radhika said, I begged those useless idols for help so many times. How many times did I grind my forehead to the ground bowing before them? And did they ever help me? Nothing ever changed. My husband still beat me, still drank, my life was a wreck. They didn't even give me peace in the midst of it all. They even tried to keep me from coming to this wonderful family by prophesying I would go crazy here. But Jesus gave me strength. He's changed everything for me. Ronnie didn't speak. Soon, it was time for us to put Ronnie on a bus back to her village. She threw her arms around me and cried into my shoulder. For the first time in her life, she had hope. Hope that maybe, somehow, things could get better. When you came and you hugged me and put me in the front seat instead of the back, she said, there were some people in my village nearby. I know they're going to tell everyone I came with you guys to do dirty work, she said. Suddenly, I realized one reason why Ronnie had been frustrated with me in the car. Ronnie told me that nobody hugs in her village, and if you try to hug even a female relative, people will talk badly about you. If you try to wash your face, they will say you're doing it to go sleep around. If you speak in Hindi instead of the local dialect, people will accuse you of being a snob and make fun of you mercilessly. Who do you think you are anyway, they will say. Even just thinking about myself in Ronnie's position makes me feel her intense desperation and despair. She is stuck. Always stuck. Because pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps? That doesn't happen in Nanderagam. I don't know what I'm going to tell them. I don't know what's going to happen. But I have to go back. How could I ever leave? She cried again. Radhika and I wrapped our arms around her as she cried. If and when you find enough hope in your heart to leave, I whispered in her ear, just call us. We will help you run. Did Ronnie's story touch your heart as it did mine? Her situation is not unique. What might God be calling you to do to help women in India have hope? Being missionaries has given our family the chance to witness real miracles. For example, did you know that Rani has learned to sew and has experienced answers to her very own prayers to Jesus? Why not join the laborers in God's Indian fields? To learn more, check out afmonline.org. That's afmonline.org.